This morning is going to be exciting. Um, just a phenomenal passage of text of the scripture to get to open up with you. Um, it's been really fun, uh, exciting, studying. Um, Curtis and I are kind of taking turns. We're tag. It's fun to be tag teaming with him because we, we bounce things off of each other. And uh, it's it's you know he he he. He conquered Daniel chapter one last week. Uh, I get to go after Daniel chapter two. He's gonna be back in Daniel chapter three next week. I'll be in four after that. So it's, it's been really fun to kind of tag team and work th- through this as, as a team. Um, he, did, he just did a great job last week emphasizing that God is still on the throne. Despite whatever's happening around us in the culture and the context, God is still on the throne. Uh, I will apologize because... Uh, if you're not a millennial or a Gen X, you might miss this reference, but man, this week, uh, I've been, I don't know why, but the song from Eminem popped in my head, Will the Real Slim Shady Please Stand Up? <laughs> I, I, I know. Don't look, if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please don't look it up. Um, rap, white, white rapper dude. Um, but really, this chapter focuses on, will the real God of heaven please stand up? Will the real God of heaven please stand up? And don't make me white, you know, wrap it, please. Um, my wife would probably walk out at that moment. Um, but will the real God of heaven please stand up? And what I love about last week was, was we, we looked at the practical living out of, of, of the, the Christian life or, or, or the followers of God. And Daniel, was a re- Daniel chapter one is really practical in a sense of how do we live in this culture where, where Daniel chapter two now chum, kind of jumps into the prophetic. Um, and we're gonna look at this amazing uh, dream and then the interpretation of it that King Nebuchadnezzar was given and then it was revealed through by Daniel. And then... Chapter three, we're gonna jump back into practical again and what that looks like to live this out. And then chapter four is in back, back into prophetic. So it's, it's this balance of practical to prophetic that I just, just makes me love studying the book of Daniel. Um, this chapter, I believe, really looks at who is the God of heaven. I would encourage you later, I'm not gonna be able to fully develop it, but I would encourage you to go to blueletterbible.com this week uh, there's a search bar where you can type in a search, put in quotations, uh, the, uh, put in quotations, God of heaven, and see all the 25 times and where that is, where that that phrase is used throughout Scripture. I'll, I'll talk a, li- a little bit about it, but man, there's 25 places in the Scripture where that's used, uh, and, and all the way through uh, Genesis to the Book of Revelation, and we're going to look at that today a little bit. We're looking at the context of of chapter two. Before we jump into chapter two, we have to be reminded of where we're at in the text with Daniel chapter one. Reminder that that, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian uh, king, uh, has uh, besieged Jerusalem. Uh, He has taken all the young men that were there, and he, he, the smartest of them, he, ta- he has taken them into his kind of council, and he's put them into the best training. Most likely, and Curtis didn't mention this because of Family Sunday, but most likely Daniel and his friends were castrated. Um, so not only were they pulled out of their houses, but they were, they were castrated. And, and, and so it makes you wonder if, for Daniel's young men, that the sinful desires of the body, their sexual sinful desires, were not, there was no able to outflow of those. The other way that people could fulfill the desires of their flesh was by eating good food. 
I mean, those are, those are kind of the two of the temptations of the flesh or of, of how much we eat or what the, the taste of that is, but also sexually desired. Well, Daniel had been cut off, and so now he's given, in Daniel chapter one, he's given the choice of the best foods, the most delicious foods. And it's funny how sin always has a way of finding out. It's like there's, there's a, in our walk of, in our life of sanctification, it, once one door is closed and we've really closed that off and said, no, I don't want to do this anymore, there's always other opportunities. But Daniel said no to each of those opportunities by denying the flesh of eating the good food that was given to him. Just a little sidetrack that I, I was thinking about this week. So Daniel's, uh, he's been taken all the, and then, and then what was more important is the articles from God's house were taken and they were put in, and this is Daniel chapter one, verse two. They were taken from the house of God, carried away into the land of Shinar and the house of his gods, of, into Nebuchadnezzar's gods. And he brought the articles of the treasury into the house of his God. So that begins where, where, where we're at in this chapter is who is the God of heaven? Who is the God who reigns supreme? And so Daniel chapter two is gonna answer that question. And it's gonna start with a dream, but let's first open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your insight as we open up the, this text this morning that's, that lays before us this great chapter in the Bible, Lord. Uh, a, a chapter that shows that you, God, reign supreme, that you are the God of heaven who can tell the beginning from the end, Lord. So, Lord, give us peace with that, Lord. Not like Nebuchadnezzar, who had no peace upon receiving this dream, but, Lord, give us your peace this morning as we look how you rule over the kingdoms of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So after taking the articles of the house of the gold, it says, verse 1, so now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was so troubled that sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to help the king, uh, tell the, to tell the king his dreams. And so they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Starts out with dreams. Starts out with King Nebuchadnezzar. He's having these dreams. He really, he's, he's, he's woken up in the middle of the night. Text doesn't say it, but I, I, that's, that's my opinion is, is he's woken up in the middle of the night by this dreams that he's had. But there's one, one specific dream that he wakes up and he's like, whoa, I need to know what this means right now. Post haste, so he wakes up the four, his group of four. I'll call them the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. And he wants to know what his dreams mean. But in particular, he said, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Goes from dreams to a dream to the dream. There's something particular about this certain dream. So much so that his sleep left him. And the kings get to do what kings get to do. They get to call and wake up and they get to command people. And so he commands his, these, these astrologers, these men to come before him that night. And there in the middle of the night, probably like sleep still in their eyeballs and still a little groggy, he calls them forth, and he begins to say, hey, I want to know what my dream was. Now, there's a side note that I want to step off into for just a moment. It's something that happens in the text that we can't see. And the text goes from, from verse th 
chapter two, verse four, all the way through, bless you, all the way through chapter seven is written in Aramaic. So the Old Testament is primarily written in Hebrew and the New Testament is primarily in uh, Greek. But there's certain sections of scripture that are in the Old Testament that are written in Aramaic. And Aramaic would have been the language that was used in Babylonia. It was the Gentile language of the day. So chapters two, verse, starting in verse four, it, all, it, it, it goes to Aramaic until chapter seven. And now that was, de- some would say, some commentators would say that these chapters were designated for the Gentiles or the times of the Gentiles. That's maybe an interesting thought to go down later. But for Daniel, who had just finished three years in Nebuchadnezzar's schooling, he would have been fluent now in Aramaic. Growing up, he would have spoken Hebrew. And now as he's put in Nebuchadnezzar's schooling, he's, he's, he's learned, he's become fluent in Aramaic. And it's one reason why Daniel is, why we believe Daniel was written by Daniel. Kind of a funny thing to, to say, but that is because higher, higher scholars, higher critics have said that, well, the, the prophecies in the, found in the book of Daniel are so accurate, there's absolutely possibility, zero chance that Daniel was written before, uh, before these things took place. No, a later author under the pen name of Daniel wrote these things because no one can speak the future like, like, like what we found in, in, in the book of Daniel. But the fact that Daniel was able to flip-flop from Hebrew and Aramaic is one reason why we look and say, well, no, actually, Daniel was written by the book of Daniel. Or Daniel was written by the book. Daniel, the book of Daniel was written by Daniel. Uh, Curtis pointed out some other great reasons why last week, and, and that includes um, the Septuagint. That was uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was completed in about 300 BC. That points to an early dating of the book of Daniel before these prophecies happened that we're going to talk about. Uh, he mentioned in 334, Alexander the Great was shown, or at least told that he was in the book of Daniel, and because of that reason, he didn't j- destroy Jerusalem when he besieged it in 334. But then Curtis saved the best reason for me. It's the one he forgot to mention last week that I was like, as we were bouncing things off, I was like, Curtis, you didn't mention the best one. He's like, what? And I was like, Jesus. So in Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus says this. Jesus says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand Jesus quotes Daniel chapters 11 and says that Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. And so whether higher critics or scholars with lots of degrees behind their names say, well, actually, no, Daniel wasn't written because of these reasons, Jesus said that Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. So is our view of the scriptures of the Bible different than Jesus? If we call him, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we can't be separating ourselves and saying, well, you know, Jesus, he had some good thoughts or good intentions, but ah, he wasn't, he was really a little bit off in that thing. No, I think that's dangerous territory. Jesus said that the, the book of Daniel was written by Daniel. So back to the text. This is verse three. So the king's had a dream, and he says to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So then becomes the pleas by the four. It says, the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. And they said, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give it the interpretation. 
And the king answered to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Yikes. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. Easy thing, guys, right? Easy enough. Just tell me the dream and my inter- tell me the dreams, the thought I had in my head, this, the thing that's woke me up, and I, and I want to know what it means. So, they don't like that, obviously, because that's a hard thing to do, and they're going to tell the king that. And then so it, they, they begin the second plea, and they, they answered again in verse 7. And they said, you know, then they begin to butter up the king. They said, they, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants. Like, oh, you're the king, we're the servants. Just tell us the dream, and we will give its interpretation. Once again, the king puts his foot down and says, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream to me, and also, there's only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I should know that you can give me its interpretation. You know, a king has his counselors, and a king wants to know and keep his counselors in check because the king could say, well, this is my dream, and the counselors come back and, and, and say, oh, well, this is what we think it means, or it could mean this or this. And no, he, want, he, he knew the importance of this dream, and so he says, no, 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 that's not how it's going to work this time. I'm not going to tell you the dream I had because I ate a bad burrito, no, you're going to tell me the dream, and you're going to tell me the interpretation. And the third fi- and final plea by these, this group of four men was, was this, and it's, it has some interesting things that we're going to poke back at throughout this Daniel chapter 2. Verse 10 says, And the Chaldeans answered the king and says, There is not a man on earth. Remember that phrase. There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, king, no king, no lord, no ruler has ever asked such things of a magician, astrologer, a Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of that, for this, for this reason, the king was very angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. What do they say? They said, there's not a man on earth. No one has that possibility. And because there's not a man on earth, there's no, this is silly king. No, no king, no lord, no ruler. They've never asked this thing to know the dream and its interpretation. It's impossible. It's a difficult thing. And then they, they point to something. They say something. It's half true. They say there's, not, there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods. There's only one God. There's gods that can tell you what your dream and interpretation are, but they don't dwell with flesh. We can't can't communicate with them. But that's the thing, right? Possibly this happening in the middle of the night. He's woken them up. He brings forth his astrologers and his magicians and his uh, um, third was the sorceries, sorcerers. And then the Chaldeans. Well, the astronomers, they should have been able to go outside and look up the stars and tell the king, okay, well, the constellations are lined up this way, so the gods, you know, that gods that are up in the stars must be trying to say this to you. They could have had that possibility. 
The magicians or the swords there, another word is necromancers, the, those who speak to the dead. If they could really speak to the dead, they could have you know, conjured up the dead and, and be, then given the king an inter- interpretation. If they could have contacted the spiritual realm. But these men were empty, they're devoid, they could not do that. That's why they say there's not a man on earth. In fact, the, 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 the gods who might be able to tell you the dream, well, they don't dwell with flesh. And so who is the true and living God? Once again, will the real God of heaven please stand up? Because I, I, I want you to show you that, give you a little pa- primer on the Babylonian main god or, or who the Babylonians worshipped. And it was a, na- it was a god by the na- that went by the name of Marduk. So Marduk, from, from, this is from uh, uh, gotquestions.com. Marduk was a false god that was worshipped as the chief Babylonian deity. He had several titles, including Bel, which means, uh, simply means Lord. Uh, he was worshipped as the god of storms and fertility, much as the, uh, the god Baal of the Canaanites was. The name Marduk is mentioned explicitly in you know, only once in scripture in Jeremiah 50, verse 2. You can check that one out later. Jeremiah 50, verse 2. And the Babylonian religious system was a polytheistic. They had many gods uh, instead of just one like the Jews. Early in the history of Babylon, Marduk was only worshipped as a local city god, not as a national deity. This changed over time, however, with the writing of the Enuma Elish, a Babylonian creation myth. The Enuma Elish helped raise Marduk to national deity status. In the Enuma Elish, Marduk is described as a hero of the story as he defeats the, the goddess Timat in the primeval saltwater ocean, and he makes heaven and earth out of her dead body. Okay? That's from the Enuma Elish. So you can see within the myth is also another story of how Marduk killed Tidmat's son or consort and used his blood to create mankind to be laborers of the gods. Uh, it's quite clear from the Enuma Elish creation story that, that it differs drastically from what the Bible says in Genesis 1 and 2, right? About how the earth, heaven and earth were created. Also to note is in ancient mythology, Marduk is credited with creating the zodiac, the Babylonians believed that Marduk created the zodiac, the signs, and placed the stars up there. He made the stations for the great gods, the stars, their tablets, as the stars of the zodiac he fixed. That's from the seven tablets of creation. Um, it is with this god, God Marduk, that had a house in Babylon where the articles of the house of Yahweh, the god of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, had been taken and put there. It's, this, it's with this God that the magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers, and the Chaldeans should be hearing from. But could they hear from Marduk? Would, would Marduk give them wisdom with what was the dream and what was the interpretation? No, because he's false. You see, that's where the Bible is different. Knowing the end from the beginning, knowing the thoughts and the intents of, of our hearts, Knowing the dreams that we have, that is what Yahweh declares that he knows. Isaiah also says, put those other gods to the test in this way. Isaiah 41, verses 22 and 23, 24 says, let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them, and know the latter end of them or declare us things to come. 
Show the things which are to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed to see it together. Indeed, because they couldn't do those things, they couldn't tell the end from the beginning. He says, indeed, you are nothing and your work is nothing and he, and he who chooses you is an abomination. That's what the Bible, the Bible's so much prophecy within it because the Bible and Yahweh alone claims that he knows the end from the beginning and can, and can tell, the, the, tell those things apart. So because that decree was called out uh, for the wise men to be destroyed, it's not looking so good for Daniel and the wise men. So Daniel then, hearing of this, and was approached and said, oh man, your life is on the line. What, why, is the, why is this decree so urgent? And Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king his interpretation. This is where things get exciting. Daniel petitions the God of heaven. So verse 17 says this. It says, then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, his companions that they might seek the mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Now this is the first time in, in, in the book of Daniel that we see Daniel seeking, uh, seeking the God of heaven, seeking Yahweh. Yah, the name Yahweh, the name, the name of the Lord, the name of God, won't be mentioned until Daniel chapter 9. But right now, Daniel is seeking the God of heaven, just like those magicians, astrologers, soothsayers, all those other guys should have been seeking their God of heaven. But now Daniel goes into his men, his, his friends, his companions. He says, hey guys, our life is on the line. We're about ready to be taken out. So what are we gonna do? And they begin to petition they might seek the mercies from the God of heaven. Now, that's an important title. Once again, the God of heaven. I would encourage you to study that throughout the week because we have the God of heaven that some believed was Marduk in Babylon. Daniel and his men believed the God of heaven was Yahweh. So who will it be? And where do we get that title from? Well, that title is first found in Genesis chapter 24. In Genesis 24, about 20, about 20, 26 BC, Abraham uses his title of God to direct his unnamed servant to go get a son for his, to go get a bride for his son Isaac. Genesis 24, 3 says, that, you may, that I may make you swear by the Lord, by, by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of Canaanites, of whom I dwell. So he makes his servant promise by the name of Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Next, we find that this, this text in Psalms chapter 136. It's either David or Solomon, and this is about a thousand years later after uh, Abraham uttered those words. In 959 BC, they write this in Psalm 136. It ends with, it, it, the psalm ends with this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 136, according to Jewish tradition, is the great Hallel. It's, it's the, it's, it's the um, psalm that was recited every Passover for the Jews. It was, a, it was kind of a back and forth. It was the reciting of what God has done over the years, and it, lastly, it ends with, 
Give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. So as a young boy, no doubt, as David celebrated Passover in Jerusalem before he was taken captive, he would have said the the great Hillel with his family. He would have recited this verse. He would have memorized this verse that that they petitioned the mercies of God. Jonah later on in Jonah chapter one, verse nine, he's gonna mention, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who's made sea and dry land. But now we arrive at Daniel, and Daniel petitions the Yahweh, the God of heaven. See, chapter one, as gnarly as it was, at the heart of his situations as Daniel was put in, as the king's delicacies and the king's meat was put in front of him, he didn't petition the Lord, oh Lord, should I eat this or should I not? There's, there's, there's no sense in the scripture that he does that. He just, he, he knows what is right because that's the way he's been raised, he knows the scriptures, and so he lives according to those. But there's no petition or call out and calling out to the Lord. But now in this situation, with Nebuchadnezzar's degree to kill all the wise men, he's, his back is up against the wall, and he says, oh, Lord, I need to do something. I need to petition the Lord of heaven. And he quotes scripture. He reminds God. He calls out for the mercies of God. In a sense, I believe, quoting Psalm 136, 23. Lord God, you've, your mercy has endured forever. May your mercy carry me through and my, my men right now. He knew scripture. He'd memorized scripture. And no doubt he'd remember this, the, the times from the Old Testament scripture of Joseph and Joseph being given dreams and interpretations and then being used later in Pharaoh's service. He's, he's thinking of all these things through. Man, Lord, you can, you can use me at this moment, Lord. I humbly ask that you do that by your mercy. Because of that, verse 19 says, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. He blesses the God of heaven because that secret was given to Daniel in a night vision. So he blesses by God by saying, by saying this, and he says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, for he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Oh, he reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and I have now made known to me what, what we ask to you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. He wakes up from this, this night vision like, oh my goodness, God listened to me. He, his mercy endures forever. I'm in this this, I'm a captive in another country, and God's mercy is still enduring to me here in this place as we call out to the Lord. And his mercy, I want, to, I want to tell you, even this morning, his mercy endures forever. He's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the God of heaven. and He's God, the God who came to earth. So Daniel wakes up. He's like, oh, man, here we go. So Daniel says in verse 24, therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said to him, thus, he says, hey, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Interesting that he didn't say, well, you just you, you have your way with those guys. They are, they're no good. Those other wise men, they're no good. But man, it's just save my life and save my other three friends' life. He doesn't do that. He's seeking the good for all. He says, save the wise men, and I will tell the king the interpretation. 
Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and thus said to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Isn't that interesting? I have found a man. He like, he's like, hoo-hoo, here's some bonus points for me. He goes before the king, I've found a man. Remember what they said in verse 10? There is not a man on earth. Now Arioch comes, he's like, I have found a man. So the king, Daniel's brought before the king, and he's like, hey, are you, are you for real? Are you going to tell me my dream and the interpretation? Daniel's going to level up and do one more. I'm going to show you this. Daniel says this. He's like, hey, man, what, what, verse 27, the secret that the king demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, you know, those guys who look up at the stars and tell you what's going to happen in the future, and the soothsayers or smooth sayers, they cannot declare to the king. But verse 28 says, but there is a God in heaven. Not many gods, one God. There's a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will happen in the latter days. Your dreams and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. So Daniel's gonna tell him the dreams and the interpretation but he's also going to tell him what led up to that. He's going to tell the king what he was thinking as he went to bed before he had the dreams and the interpretations. Verse 29 says, For you, O king, thoughts came onto your mind while you were on, bed, on your bed, and what would happen or what would come to pass after this? So what was King Nebuchadnezzar thinking about that? As he went to sleep, he was thinking about, oh man, what's going to happen after my kingdom? What's going to happen after I die? He's beginning to wrestle with his mortality. He's, he's realized he's conquered the whole known world at the time. And he's thinking, man, okay, my life, I'm, I'm not a god. So my life will come to end at some point. But what's going to happen after me? That's, that was the thoughts that he had as he was falling asleep. And Daniel revealed that to him. And he says, and he who reveals secrets has made to you, made known to you what will be done. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes, who make known to the interpretation of the king that you may know the thoughts of your heart. King Nebuchadnezzar never vocalized these things. They were simply thoughts in his heart and his head as he's, as he's falling asleep. He's like, man, what is going to take place? What's going to come to pass? And that is a king's legacy, his empire. What will, what will successive generations, what will later, what will, be the, his, what will happen to his huge empire that he's built up? So he fell asleep with those thoughts, had this dream, and knew the importance of this dream, but he couldn't tell you what that dream meant. But Daniel was given the wisdom. Here, so here is the dream. Daniel says, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. And its image head was of fine gold, and its chest of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like shaft from the summer's threshing floors. 
The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Oh, that was your dream, King. I'd, I would have loved to have seen Nebuchadnezzar's face as Daniel spoke that dream. Like, did he just go white in the face? Because Daniel had just nailed it. So in his dream, he sees this huge statue, this huge image. And it has gold and, and silver and bronze and legs of iron and feet of partly of iron and clay. And as he's watching that image, all of a sudden this uncut stone comes and just crashes into the, the, into the image and it just breaks up into a little milled pieces like the, like the shaft, like the, 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 the holes of the wheat seeds as they're shaft or they're blown away in summer. These things, the, the kingdoms or these pieces of the image just blow away. And then that rock or that stone becomes like this great mountain and it fills the whole earth. No wonder that King Nebuchadnezzar had some questions about this dream. So now, now that, that Daniel's revealed the dream, can he tell the interpretation? Can he tell the king what it means? Well, yes, right? He's able to do that because the God of heaven has given mercy to Daniel and revealed it to Daniel. So verse 36 says, this is the dream we will, tell, uh, we will now tell the interpretation of, of for the king. He says, you, O king, are a king of kings. For the, for the God of heaven, he's reminding him there is a God of heaven. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom of, of power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the air, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over all of them. He's reminding King Nebuchadnezzar of the authority that King Nebuchadnezzar has been given because the God of heaven gave it to him. And then he says something that was astounding, something, the reason why Genesis, or, uh, Daniel chapter three is gonna be written, but he says, you are this head of gold. That would feel pretty good. Whoa, I'm the head of gold. This bat, my, my kingdom, my kingdom is, 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 the, is, is the head over this whole thing. But then he's reminded of, of the subsequent kingdoms that will come. And Daniel could have left off, I mean, that, if Daniel really wanted to please Nebuchadnezzar, if he wanted to make Nebuchadnezzar happy, if he was trying to like be a smooth sayer at all, he could have said, oh, king, you're the head of gold. You're going to do great. That's, that's where we're just going to leave it off right here. See ya. Great job. And, and he could have taken off. But no, he's going to tell the king, king, your life is going to come and your kingdom is going to come and and here's what's going to happen after these things. He says, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another and then a third king of bronze which shall rule all over the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks iron in pieces and it shatters everything like iron that crushes and the kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And that's where uh, those who study prophecy and those who study history and we look back at history, we realize how amazing Daniel's uh, um, King Nebuchadnezzar's prophecy was. So I think I have a graphic up here. As we look back from history, from our vantage point looking back, we can see how these kingdoms took place. So Babylonia, which was made clear to, to King Nebuchadnezzar, was the head of gold. 
And that kingdom had a timeline. And then the next kingdom that rose after Babylonia was the Medo-Persian Empire. And it was interesting that the Medo-Persian Empire is split into two. Um, we'll, be, we'll be developing, like once again, this is just a skim through Daniel chapter two. So we will begin to dig, dig deeper into these different kingdoms and empires as they're, they're shown later on as beasts. Uh, but after the Medo-Persian Empire comes the, the Grecian Empire, finally the Rome Empire. At the end of the Rome Empire, something strange happened because we, we're, we're told that there's a divided kingdom. Verse 41 says, whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. So he said, there's, he said, there's something different about this last or fifth divided kingdom. Daniel chapter nine, we, we can refer to it as the revised Roman Empire. Something, something's gonna happen where the, uh, an empire was, was destroyed, but then it's, it's making its way back in kind of bits and pieces. And we believe, and I believe personally, that is a future government that's still being put together. And then he says, as the toes, verse 42, as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Now, that was, that was probably interesting to see iron mixed with clay. Like, I don't see those things going together very well. You know, as, as he's talking about the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, Daniel chapter 7 will talk about it as a, as a bear, uh, slightly higher on one side, raised up on one side with three ribs in his mouth. And that gets like, whoa, what does that mean? But the Medo-Persian uh, Empire, so how many, how many fingers do I have? Ten? Eight? Eight, right? Eight, two thumbs. How many toes do we have? Ten, yes, good. Uh, so interesting, because throughout Scripture, this last fifth government, the fifth empire that's going to take place, has ten heads of government or heads of state. Uh, Daniel's going to talk about that. Uh, the book of Revelation has that. So he's saying when there's this divided kingdom of the ten toes, or the toes and of the feet, they're partially mixed. There's something strange going to happen. And this is, a, this is a question mark that I've had in my Bible for a long time, and it's a strange one because it kind of jumps up out of, out of nowhere. Verse 43 says, As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mix with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. Isn't that a strange statement? They will mix with the seeds of men, and that makes me ask, who is they? Who is they? In the days of the divided kingdom, verse 44, and in the days of this, these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall be not left to other people. It shall break into pieces and consume all of these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. So in the, in the midst of the divided kingdom, uh, um, when there's mixing of the seeds of men, they will mix with the seeds of men, which has a, has a Genesis 3.15 kind of flavor to it. Right? I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, talking to Satan. Or Genesis 6, where the sons of God came into the daughters of, of men. The, the, the things that were happening before the times of Noah that Jesus later says, as in the days of Noah were, so it will be when the, son, the coming of the Son of Man. There's strange 
things happening in this last divided kingdom. But it's in that last divided kingdom that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And then he talks about this stone in verse 45. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and it broke it in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great image God has made known to the king will come to pass after this. He says, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Daniel gives him the thoughts that was leading up to his head as he fell asleep. He gives him the dream. He gives him the interpretation. He says, this, these things are sure. These things will take place. But he talks about this stone. We know from scripture, Jesus is that stone. The stone that will break all the kingdoms apart. Didn't mention this in verse, in, 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 um, first service, but Jesus said, had this to say in Luke chapter 20, verse 17. He says, then he looked to them and said, what is it then that is written? He says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. We all have to face Jesus and who we believe Jesus is. And if we fall on Jesus, we fall on the belief of who he is and who he said he is, we'll be broken. But it's a sweet breaking that happens. Because God can take from this pot of clay and he can begin to once again turn it and build it into something he wants it to do. But if we choose to be hard-hearted against the stone, he will crush us and grind us and break us into pieces like the kingdoms of the earth that, that, that Jesus is set to do. Because of this word, because of the thoughts, the dreams, the interpretation, it says, verse 46, that the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of the secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Now, let me tell you what, King Nebuchadnezzar, I, 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 don't, I don't know if he ever fell on his face before someone. Obviously, we don't see that in scripture, but I, I cannot see a king of such power and stature and rule and reign falling on his face before a man. And yet he does that. He humbles himself and is like, whoa, Daniel, you, are, Daniel, are connected to the God of heaven. Your God, Daniel's God, you, are the, you, you have a connection to the real God of heaven. Marduk, any other God, any other deity could never have done what you've just done you, your God is a revealer of secrets, a God of gods, a Lord of kings. Daniel used prophecy to bring Nebuchadnezzar to his knees. And I believe that biblical prophecy, as we study and understand biblical prophecy, it's, it's biblical prophecy fulfilled is evidence that demands a verdict. It demands a verdict. I, I was having a conversation with a, a, a man um, who, who was, his focus is really, he, he's not, not a believer, not a Christian. Uh, um, he, he even called himself an atheist and he talked about how he, his, he is so concerned with this CBDC, the central banking digital currency and the control that that allows governments to have over us. And so he, he is a cash only guy. In fact, he has these little kind of somewhat dollar bills that talk about the dangers of, of central banking digital currency on the back 
And he's like, hey, man, if your church just talked about these things ahead of time, you know, he's like, man, we can get more people aware of these things. And maybe on Sunday, you know, three, four years down the line, as people are like, actually waking up to the dangers of the central banking digital currency, they'll say, oh man, Harvest Church knew this ahead of time. Maybe, maybe I got to find out more about Harvest Church. And I tried to explain to him, like, dude, the Bible is full of things that have been called out years ago, thousands of years ago. I'm like, central banking digital currency is no surprise to me. My parents were talking about this with me since I was like, I can remember. Like these things that the Bible calls out, they are evidence that demands a verdict and we need to do something with this. Prophecy is a great way to bring someone to the Lord. Prophecy and archaeology to to bridge the gap between uh, someone who's secular and someone who's a believer. Bring in archaeology that is found throughout the, 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 um, the Middle East that points to the accuracy of the scriptures and then talk about prophecy, that these things were called out way long. These empires, these kingdoms were called out way before they ever happened. The fact that Jerusalem or that Israel was to, to be a, a, a nation once again in 1948, something that's never happened on the planet of the earth, that, that, that a nation would be dissolved and come back into, into being. Like that, that is prophecy fulfilled. So we need to lean on the Bible and this prophecy because Daniel faced Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, hey, this is just the facts. This is what the God of heaven says. You do what you want. You, this is evidence that demands a verdict. A fourth to a third of the Bible is prophecy. And so if you're not studying biblical prophecy, I would encourage you to. And I can, us on staff, we can point you some great directions. And then Daniel, so because of Daniel, he's given us the King Nebuchadnezzar his thoughts, his dreams, the interpretation of it. I mean, who wouldn't want a guy like that on your team, right? So he is promoted into the kingdom, and uh, he's set over, and he's allowed to bring in um, his three friends with him. But man, the Bible is amazing. It is a unique, amazing book. And it is a time to point back to prophecy, is it time to, to not be silent, not be, not be scared about these things? As Daniel and his friends had their backs against the wall, so to speak, they said, we will seek the mercies of the God of heaven in this time, and they did. Now, the God of heaven is a beautiful thing because the Bible makes the claim that the God of heaven took on humanity and dwelt with us. They believed, hey, they said in verse 11, it's a difficult thing that the king requests and there is no other who can tell it to the king except for the gods and whose dwelling is not with flesh. But God came in the flesh as Jesus Christ and he dwelt among us. And he lived that perfect life, fulfilling God's, all of God's promises, all of God's commands, the life that we can't live. And so we recognize that when Jesus went to the cross and he said, to tell us that it is finished, that he paid for our sins in full because we could never do that. And it's the God who not only took on human flesh, but he bled and died for us. So that's this morning. We'll take communion. And if you haven't got a communion cup, we'll have the ushers pass those around now. We remember what Jesus did for us. It's something that we've, the church has been doing for 2,000 years as we look Remember what Jesus had been doing, what, did, what Jesus did for us in the past, but also look forward to his second coming, an event prophesied in the Bible throughout scripture. 
If you got an extra one, I'll take one. Thanks, Noah. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from the Lord that which was delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember that Jesus became flesh, died in our place for us. So we take this, my body which is broken, do this in remembrance of me. And with the juice, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We remember Christ. He goes on to say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God has taken on humanity in, in, the, in the flesh but he's still God on the throne. He's still the God of heaven. And he will, he sets the times and the seasons. Trust in him. Seek his mercies. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you are still on the throne. You are working through human men and women, Lord. We thank you that we are even allowed to be used by you, Lord. We're just tools in, in, the, in your tool shed, Lord. Use us this week, Lord. Give us wisdom as we study and look into prophecy, Lord. The things that have been fulfilled so far and the things that promise to, that will come to pass, Lord. And your second coming, your, your return is, is right there on the top of the list, Lord. We look forward to your coming. Even now, Lord, come now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.